Welcome to Mysteries to Die For and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a murder. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, and thriller genre. Today's featured release is Deadly Depths by John F. Dobbin. All right, we're gonna jump right into chapter one. Hey guys, no class today. The old man died. The student who yelled across campus to his classmate was just a blur, but to me, it stung. A dismissive epitaph for a man who had become like a father to me. Professor Barrington Holmes, the man responsible for enticing me out of a career in the criminal courtroom and into one in the law school classroom. This was my third jarring brush with Professor Holmes's death that morning. The first was a breaking news television report that shocked me so profoundly that I had to replay it to absorb it. The second brush was a cryptic call 10 minutes later from the university president. Matthew, my office, right now. This is about, I asked. Start driving, he said. Turn on the radio. Click. Wishful disbelief had descended into unwilling acceptance by the time I reached the president's door. I'd have knocked, but a command beat me to it. Get in here, Matthew. I did. Cecil Conley, phone in hand, cut short his pacing behind his desk to nod at a chair. He mouthed the word, sit. I expected his next word to be stay. I'd given up jumping to orders when I left the intelligence branch of the Air Force eight years earlier. I made an exception. The president was visibly strung tighter than a piano wire. I sat through a series of his one-word responses into the phone. Yes. When? No. Never. Then a muffled, he's here right now. He set down the phone and lowered his rigid frame onto the front half of his chair. Hell of a morning, Matthew. I heard it on the news, I said. No details. Yeah, well, whoever said the devils in the details was a psychic. You mean a prophet, I said. He gave me a blank look. What? Nothing, I said. You summoned me. I'm here, Cecil, at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm as shocked about Professor Holmes's death as anyone outside his family. But why did you... You two are close, he said, weren't you? That question set off more than I was ready for. So many thoughts at once. I had been one of those college students who casually slid down the prescribed pipes, cruising from summer vacation to fall break to Christmas break to spring break and back to summer. Then, for no good reason I can remember, I took Professor Holmes's basic course in archaeology. It was the only course that fit into my schedule with no early morning classes. First lecture, about 25 students. I was the first one he called on with a question about the pre-assigned reading. I tried a little dance around a wild guess and struck gold. He smiled and nodded and said, thank you, Mr. Shane. I nearly threw my shoulder out, patting myself on the back. As we walked out of class, the professor casually walked out beside me. He put his arm on my shoulder and gave me a warm smile. I returned the smile. Clearly, my bluff dancer had snowed him. 
Mr. Shane, you're a bright lad, he said. Well, thank you, Professor. You've got a good reputation around here. How do you... I started to ask. Nothing personal, he said. I do a little research on all my students. Archaeology is not overwhelmingly popular. I like to analyze why my students take the course. He spoke in a quiet, soothing voice. The smile continued, but I followed up on the buddy approach. The enrollment's full, I said. Maybe it's the reputation of the professor. The smile broadened, and the arm on my shoulder held me close enough to whisper, Oh my, Mr. Shane, I believe you and I are going to have to take this from the top next class. Here's the lay of the land. Archaeology is not an interest with me. It's not a subject to teach. It's not even a way I make my living. It's not, I asked. No, Mr. Shane, none of that. Then what? The arm on my shoulder stopped us. He turned me to face him, eye to eye, still smiling. It's my life. It's totally absorbing. And more, considerably more, it's occasionally quite dangerous. Do you believe that? Probably not, but no matter. If you say so, take this to heart, Mr. Shane. If you ever spend class time, my time, again, with this unmitigated bullcrap you treated us to today, which, I might add, is unworthy of you, I will take personal delight in bouncing your unprepared rump right out that door. Yes? Have we got that locked in? Good. The warm smile continued as he peeled off out the door. From that day on, I put twice the effort into his class that I put into any other. He became my advisor, first reader for my senior thesis, and, after three years in Air Force Intelligence, the first one I sought out to discuss my decision to go to law school. In practice, I chose a law firm that litigated criminal actions related to stolen antiquities. The choice, I'm sure, was largely a reason to keep close in touch with Professor Holmes. After three years in the classroom, the seed he planted back in college grew into an impelling desire to teach, to teach the way he did. He backed my application to become a professor at Hawthorne University's Law School. Over the next four years, we met at least once a week at the faculty dining room for lunch. My mind was still a logjam when the professor said it again. I said, were you too close, Matthew? Close, yeah, I said. I never said it to anyone before, even to myself. I said it now with conviction. I deeply love that old man. I could have added like a father, but Cecil Conley exuded the type of chilled aura that stifles any personal inroad. I sensed I'd already gone deeper than he cared to pursue. Well, he said, um, be that as it may, we have matters to discuss. We do? Why, I asked. He walked his little scooter step around the desk and came closer than I'd ever seen him come to another human being. Because I'll be damned if I let this university be drawn into a scandal. Well, that sent me back. Even our local newspaper would be hard put to find anything in Professor Holmes' life to warp into a scandal. I don't follow, I said. His voice was down to a biting whisper. I noticed tiny beads of moisture on his forehead. This goes no further. He was found in his office by the cleaning crew. It was about 5 a.m. They called the police. You mean 911, I said. 
No, damn it, the police. He was clearly dead. Why the police, I asked. He has a heart condition. He's been hospitalized twice. I wonder how long he could go on those antiquities expedition. It wasn't his heart. Cecil Secretary Carroll knocked and opened the door enough to speak. The police detective's here, she said. He wants to speak with you. Another wipe of the brow. Tell him I'm... Give me a few minutes. If it's not his heart, what was it, Cecil? He slashed his wrist, he said. He bled out. That one cut my breath short. Cecil railed on, but I wasn't getting it. Cecil, just stop. Go back. What did you say about his wrist? Just that. The police came. They went right to his office. They saw the body. They're calling it suicide. Now my mind was racing at warp speed. Everything I knew of Professor Holmes' passion to wring every drop out of every moment of life screamed that suicide in the same breath with Professor Holmes was an oxymoron. Matthew, focus here. I need your attention. I'm here, I said. How did you hear that about the suicide? The police called me at home, he said. It was about six. I came right over. Did you see Professor Holmes' body? Of course not. I came to my office and they met me here. They asked me questions, but I couldn't add anything. And then you called me, I said. Why, Cecil? I probably know less than you do. Weren't you an investigator or some such with the Air Force, he asked. I remember from your application. Yes, I said, an intelligence unit. And you were a criminal trial attorney in practice. Also, yes. So what? The university has an attorney, general counsel. That's Regan. He waved a dismissive hand. She knows about contracts and fundraising. I need someone from the trenches. For what, I asked. Even if it were a suicide, which, by the way, would stun the living hell out of me, it is what it is. What more can I say, to the police or to you? He took another deep, nervous breath. It may not be, as you so glibly put it, what it is. Whatever the hell that means, I said. Carol poked her head in to say that the detective was becoming more insistent. Cecil waved her off. A minute, a minute. He ran in his little prancing steps behind his desk. He took something out of the center drawer and pushed it into my hands. Read it, quickly. The single sheet of Professor Holmes's university stationery looked like it had been folded in a rush. Read it, he said, read it. I had always had difficulty deciphering Professor Holmes' left-handed scribbling, but this took double the effort. As nearly as I could tell, it said, Matthew, sorry, no other way. Maroon file, nanny town. Tell monks all, no time. An ink line ran slanting down the page of the last letter of time to the bottom right corner. How did you get this, Cecil? The cleaning lady, Myra, she found it under his desk. She brought it to me. I'm assuming that Matthew met you. Have the police seen it, I asked? No, I don't think so. I told her to keep it to herself. And that's why you called me. That's part of it, he said. And, I said, the police officer, the detective, he asked if you'd be on campus. I told him he could meet you here. What's his name? Oh, something like McCann, McLean, I'm not sure. Listen to me, there's just one priority. 
There will be no scandal, no sensationalism. The papers will love it. Our donors, one in particular, would not love it. You know about these things. I walked over to hand the letter back to Cecil. He pushed it away like it carried a virus. You keep it, he said. I don't want it around here. This could be evidence, I told him. If there's more to this, then all the more reason, he said. You handle it. I want you to take the lead on this, beginning with this detective. Hang on, Cecil. Let's be clear. I still felt as if I were bouncing off walls in a pitch-black room. There was no time to imply that either Cecil or the university or anyone else was my, quote, client. With all the obligations and attorney-client restrictions that the word would instantly produce. I never finished the thought. Cecil pushed a button. He rapsed into his intercom. Carol, send in the officer. Mac McLean had been a detective since long before I went into practice as a criminal defense counsel. That alone should have put us instantly and irrevocably in enemy camps. It's hard to explain, but from the moment I first met him in the arresting office, testifying against my client in an antiquities theft prosecution, there was something in his crusty, upfront manner that struck a rare chord. I couldn't put it into words, but during that cross-examination, we looked each other in the eye. A faint message seemed to flow both ways. Contrary to expectations, it said to each of us, this one has no hidden agenda. This one is real. That initial impression was fertile ground for a trust that just continued to grow deeper. It was an unlikely match, but over the years, Mac and I met a number of times, well out of the public eye, each to pick the brain of the other when a case ran one of us into a brick wall. More than once, a fresh look from the other's perspective had produced a chink in that brick wall that led to either a justified plea of guilty or a dismissal of charges. That trust grew into a friendship that defied the odds. Cecil greeted Mac at the door. He quickly ushered him over to me. Mac and I gave each other our usual simple nod of recognition. Hell of a morning, Matt. I'm sorry to hear, he said. I hear this time it's personal. It is, Mac. In spades. Were you the first one in? No, he said. Detective Flynn took the call. Have you seen it for yourself? I just came from there, he said. First impression? He rubbed his forehead. Not a good sign. Right now I'm thinking something you don't want to hear. So I'm told, I said. You can guess my opinion on that. That's without seeing the body, he said. I shrugged. I knew it would be a heart twister. It also seemed unavoidable. I stood up and headed for the door. I let Mac go first, while I turned back to cut the cord that could affect my discussion with the police. Cecil, two things. You, you may have to talk to the police again. I don't know where this is going. One piece of advice is all you need from me. Tell the truth. All of it. No shading, no omissions. If you don't, it will sure as hell come back to bite you, and then you'll have the scandal on your hands. He patted over closer and whispered, What about the, you know, what I gave you? The truth, I said. All of it. But, damn it, Cecil, all of it. Second thing, call University Council. Now, she needs a heads up. He seemed flummoxed and in need of one more push. Tell her everything, I said. She's your lawyer, Cecil. 
not me. All right, that is the first chapter of Deadly Depths by John F. Dobbin. So Deadly Depths was released August 1st from Ocean View Publishing and is available from Amazon and other retailers. It's available in print, ebook, and audiobooks. So let's learn a little bit more about John. Best-selling author John F. Dobbin, a graduate of Harvard College, Boston College Law School, and Harvard Law School, is a former professor of law at Villanova Law School, where he taught criminal, constitutional, and corporate law. Prior to his teaching career, Dobbin practiced criminal and civil trial work. He is a frequent contributor to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine and Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine. And he is the author of five award-winning legal thrillers featuring Michael Knight and Lex Devlin. Dobbin is a Boston native and now resides in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania with his wife, Lois. Now for my review. Deadly Depths is a genre crosser. It can be found under amateur sleuth mystery and murder thriller. I would classify it, I would sorry, I would classify it as an adventure bookended by amateur sleuth. Archaeologist Barrington Barry Holmes is dead. With a slit wrist, the police rule it suicide. Holmes' protege, Matthew Shane, former Air Force intelligence and current professor of law, calls bullshit. The path to resolving Holmes' death puts him face to face with a voodoo curse, a notorious antiquities dealer, and a 350-year-old promise between the leader of the Aztec people and the famous Englishman, Captain Henry Morgan. Bottom line, Deadly Depths is for you if you like treasure hunts, a jumble of altruistic, self-serving, and devious characters, and murder of the lowest degree. So what are the strengths of this story? Well, there's several things to love about Deadly Depths. First in my book is the treasure-seeking adventure. Lovers of Indiana Jones stories, National Treasure, and the Da Vinci Code will enjoy the mix of folklore, voodoo, pirates, and the potential of a treasure of incomparable value. The crews are cryptic yet meaningful, the locations are grounded in real history, the characters are distinct and true to their natures for good or for bad. The pacing is strong, and once this book is picked up, it's a hard one to put down. While the story does not have the time deadline common in this genre, there is a sense of being up against a ticking clock. For most of the book, there is a sense of an unseen hand manipulating the situation, creating the feeling of a race, but against an invisible competitor. So where did it fall short of the ideal? Well, as I said, this story crosses genres, so it stands very strongly for itself. But readers focusing on only one of the genres may find some gray areas. The story begins as an amateur sleuth, creating the impetus for starting the adventure. As you heard, Professor Holmes is dead, and Matthew is not going to buy that it was suicide. Once it gets going, the adventure takes over, and that drives most of the book. Only after the adventure is nearly complete is the original mystery resolved. So for adventure lovers, you may find that it takes more time than you like for the adventure to get going. For mystery lovers, you could say the same in the pursuit of the murder, the murderer. So if you can set those genre-specific expectations aside, then Deadly Depths is a very satisfying read, and truly, it's pretty much fun 
well, okay, we're not going to call Professor Holmes' death fun, so we'll say from chapter two on, <laughs> it's a fun read. That wraps up this episode of uh, Deadly Depths Toe Tag. If it sounds like your kind of story, then read or listen to the book, write a review, and help other readers and listeners find it. Know someone who loves adventure wrapped in mystery? Point them to Deadly Depths. Short Story Lovers, the anthology for Things That Go Jack in the Night, will be released on September 12th. Pre-order the print or ebook of the 12 stories framed for you to beat the detective to the solution. Thank you for listening to Mysteries to Die For in this toe tag. Join us next week for our regular episode. A One-Eyed Jack is the featured Jack in One-Eyed Jack and the Suicide King by Erica Obey. Thank you very much. All right, Jack, take us out.